As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. A global environmental crisis is making waves in Wisconsin. It's a big issue, and in my mind, one of the most important things that we can do to solve the issue is to improve collection systems in the developing parts of the world where they don't have the infrastructure to collect garbage. One of the world's most recognizable producers of plastic containers is harvesting discarded plastic overseas. We take that plastic and we bring it back to the United States here and uh, we recycle it back into our Windex bottles. But is it enough to make a real difference or is it what critics call greenwashing? If S.C. Johnson was serious about addressing the growing problem of plastic pollution, they would stop using plastic. How do you respond to that? I'd ask her the question, what's the alternative? From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and this week I'm joined by Fox 6's Brett Lemoyne. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, June 23rd for release on Thursday, June 24th. And Brett, by the time this episode is published, Fox 6 News viewers will have seen your in-depth report on an issue that directly affects their daily lives, even if it's maybe something they don't think about all that often. And that is the growing concern globally over discarded plastic. How big of a problem is this? It's a huge issue, Brian. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of people maybe don't even realize how much they rely on plastics each and every day. I mean, you really can't get out of bed and walk, uh, you know, to the to the bathroom or to your kitchen without encountering plastics. Um, you know, dozens of them, bottles, um, your alarm clock, um, and so this is this is becoming a, a, a huge issue, uh, and it's it's evident by what we see from uh, our oceans. Uh, I mean, the, the plastic bottles are, are filling not only our oceans, but also uh, Lake Michigan as well. This is a huge issue even in our own backyard. And obviously, the plastics have been around for uh, a, a long time, since before our lifetimes. And there are certain things, like the keyboard in front of me right now is made of plastic. But that keyboard is the same keyboard I have had now for for years. Um, it's not going anywhere. But single-use plastic items, I'm guessing, is where the real problem comes in, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, the bottles of water that you buy, the, the soda bottles that you have, um, your shampoo bottles, um, all of these things that really don't have much of a life beyond um, that one-time use. Now, obviously, uh, we can talk. It's not the first time we've talked about or people have, have talked about the issue of plastics. I've, in, in recent years, there's been all the focus on plastic straws and, and whether or not to use paper straws. Instead, there are the questions of plastic grocery bags, which I remember way back in the day when the concern was we were using these paper bags and plastic was supposed to be a much better option. And we found out that there were all kinds of environmental problems with the plastic bags. 
But it's not often that you hear the CEO of a major corporation that produces plastic materials sit down in an interview and talk all about that. And you got uh, uh, one of them to do just that. Tell me a little bit about your interview with uh, the CEO of SC Johnson. Yeah, Fisk Johnson. Um, this was a, a pretty big get, actually. Uh, it was my first billionaire. <laughs> my first billionaire my I've first ever interviewed. Billion- well, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not every day that this that this happens. Um, I I, uh, really found Fisk to be very approachable, very down to earth, Um, not like what I expected at all, uh, frankly. I mean, you see in the interview, um, you know, he's he's in khaki pants and a and a zip up sweater vest. Um, you know, just not something that I, I had had imagined. But um, what I got from him was that this is something that is, um, that he's very passionate about, you know, that um, he, he really takes to heart uh, sustainability and environmental issues. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, if you know anything about SC Johnson, you know, it's quote unquote, a family company, right? I mean, that's in all of their branding. Uh, Fisk is the fifth generation um, leading this company. So I think he really feels as though um, this is part of his family legacy. You know, not only the the um, the growth uh, of the company itself, but also the responsibilities that come with it. Well, I want to ask first, what was your approach in getting a billionaire owner of a major corporation to sit down and talk about something that they may not want to talk about every day. Obviously, there are a lot of critics of companies like SC Johnson for their contributions to environmental crises. So what was the approach uh, to get him to sit down in the first place? Well, it unfolded over a long period of time. Uh, actually, the interview itself that, that we conducted for this piece was done back in April. And I think uh, work on it started a couple of months, maybe before that even. So, I mean, this this wasn't something that happened overnight by any means. Um, but it really started with um, a, a press release that, that um, S.C. Johnson had sent out about um, Plastic Bank, this this program that they have that we, we highlight in the piece. Um, and, and from there, I mean, it really was just kind of saying, hey, you know, start at the top, right? You know, this is the best way to get, um, uh, you know, answers and, and uh, information about, um, you know, the, the program that they're t- touting and feel very proud about is, is to start right at the top. So I said, hey, is it possible that we'd be able to talk to the CEO? And, you know, after a little convincing, uh, it, it came to be. So tell me about their efforts. What are they doing? Obviously, they produce a lot of plastic products or, or containers for their products. Um, what are they doing to try to uh, deal with the fallout from all of the plastic all over the world? Well, in one way, um, they're working with, uh, in a partnership with a, a group called Plastic Bank. And so what, what they do is um, companies like uh, SC Johnson, they're, they're paying people in countries like Malaysia, for example, or the Philippines, um, to to pick up discarded plastic bottles um, from along the coastlines uh, and and from rivers and and stopping them from getting into our oceans and I think that's actually a really important distinction because um, you know it, it's not about the the bottles that are already in the ocean um, this is bottles that are already um, you know in in rivers and and streams that are approaching the ocean or uh, again along uh, beaches and they're paying these individuals um, to to collect that plastic and then that plastic is then hauled 
to the United States um, and um, processed and ultimately makes its way back to um, Racine and as recycled plastic bottles. It seems like an awful lot of work, and I've got to imagine expense to get that back here for reuse. Yeah, it is, and that's that is one of the you know the questions that some of the critics have about this too, right? Is that a first of all why why are those plastic bottles there in the first place? Um, and b yeah, I mean it, it it is a lot of effort to bring a plastic bottle. Um, you know, from the Philippines all the way back to the United States when, um, and rightly so, I mean, there are questions about whether or not, um, you know, how, how those bottles got there in the first place. Um, and, you know, S.C. Johnson maintains um, that the, the bottles that we were seeing in, in the ocean and, and um, that are part of this plastic bank program are not their products, um, but still, it still raises a lot of questions. So they're bringing this plastic back to Racine from all over the world. They're bringing it back here, and then they are recycling it. And, and it's from your story, I, I learned that a product I just used yesterday was using potentially one of these 100% recycled bottles, a, a product many people use on a regular basis, Windex. So w- these Windex bottles are 100% of this sort of recovered and recycled plastic? Yeah, um, as of uh, recently, um, you know, they're touting that um, because of the Plastic Bank partnership that they're able to make uh, their Windex bottles, which I think, as you know, you point out, I think almost everyone in this country probably has a Windex uh, bottle in their in their cupboard or, or, or pantry. Uh, and they're they're using those um, bottles to to make these new Windex bottles. Um, but, you know, you also have to take a step back, Brian, and think, uh, you know, as you pointed out, this is a, a huge company, right? Uh, SC Johnson produces uh, a, a number of products, you know, from Windex to scrubbing bubbles and Ziploc bags, for example. Um, so when we're talking about, um, you know, sustainability efforts, this is a really small percentage of their total line of products, Well, and that really leads into another part, another element or aspect of your story, which was while the the company, while the CEO was, you know, Fisk Johnson was happy to sit down and talk to you about their efforts in this regard. There are certainly critics who look at that and say that's that might look nice. That might be window dressing to some degree. Um, and, And actually, the person you interviewed used a term. Uh, greenwashing. What is greenwashing and why are critics saying that they think companies like SC Johnson are engaging in that? Yeah, so greenwashing is kind of a phenomenon that has um, popped up recently. You know, we see it especially around Earth Day. And, you know, if you think back to, to April, um, you know, a lot of companies, not just SC Johnson, but uh, a lot of U.S. companies uh, were touting, you know, their sustainability efforts because it is an important issue for consumers, right? When you purchase a product, a lot of people want to know, A, where it comes from, B, what happens to it. So, um, you know, greenwashing is basically when a company says they're doing something to help the environment. But in reality, it's just a, a really small effort um, that that basically, you know, looks good when presented to the consumer, makes the consumer feel good about purchasing their product, um, when in reality, it's probably not a whole lot that's being done. And that just goes back to what I was just saying, you know, when you think of, okay, Plastic Bank, that's great. They said they've they've now stopped a billion bottles from entering the ocean, um, which is good. 
you know, and, and um, the, the critics that we spoke with said, you know, that is, that, that is a good thing. And any effort is a good thing. Um, but when we talk about um, companies, again, not just SC Johnson, but companies that really rely on plastics, right, to just exist to begin with, it's really not a whole lot. Well, and, and you can look at the companies themselves, but so much of this often comes back to consumer behavior, what we do. Um, and, and I think about uh, one of the things you talked about in your story that so many people can connect with is going to a Brewers game or a Bucks game and you buy, you know, you get a beer or you get some other beverage that comes in a plastic one-time use cup. Um, if if I saw correctly in your story, S.C. Johnson actually produces those cups and has sort of developed a partnership with the Bucks in an effort to recycle those. Tell me a little bit about that and how that's going. Yeah, so um, to back up, the, the, the partnership really started with the Brewers first, and it was launched in January of 2020, where they said, okay, we're going to have all of the plastic cups that are available in, um, you know, then- uh, Miller Park, now American Family Field. Uh, we're going to have them all branded with the SC Johnson logo. There's going to be kiosks when you go to the ballpark where, um, you know, the, the fans will know that they have to dispose of their plastic cups uh, in these specially marked kiosks. And then those plastic cups uh, live on as another life as a, a scrubbing bubbles bottle. Um, which, by the way, say that five times fast. That's not an easy scrubbing bubbles bottle. <laughs> scrubbing bubbles is, bottles. Scrubbing. No, I'm not gonna do it. Five it's times. not easy. Um, so yeah, that that uh, started um, in in January of 2020. Now, as we know, right, um, there weren't a whole lot of fans that were going to the ballpark uh, because of the pandemic. So those efforts really didn't get underway until uh, this season. So we thought it was a really good reminder to Brewers fans. Um, you know, that this is something that's still going on because, you know, by the time people got back to the ballpark, really, you know, the messaging had been lost um, because, uh, you know, no one had been at at uh, American Family Field for, for some time. Uh, so they've also launched this partnership now with the Bucks, And so beginning next season, um, when you go to a Bucks game, fans will also have the same uh, messaging there. So they'll have this, you know, a similar uh, plastic cup with SC Johnson's logo on it. They'll be expected to drop it into a specially marked kiosk. And then again, those will be recycled uh, as well into scrubbing bubbles bottles. Now, SC Johnson says that they can get, uh, I believe, a half a million scrubbing bubbles bottles made from the plastic cups that come from just American Family Field alone. Now, the real eye-opener to me, Brian, was that American Family Field goes through, I think it was like 1.6 million plastic cups a season. Now, again, uh, you know, 2020 being an outlier, um, but if you think about that, I mean, that is a huge amount of plastic just from American Family Field. That's just one ballpark, yeah. Just one ballpark in America, in, in Milwaukee. And, and so, you know, the, the number is, is somewhat equal. I think it's a little less at um, Pfizer Forum. But still, I mean, this is a lot of plastic. Now, I think what was really interesting, and, um, you know, unfortunately because of time, we couldn't get into in, in the piece, but Brian, so the SC Johnson is saying, okay, we can we can make um, you know a, a half a million scrubbing bubbles bottles out of you know this one point six million plastic cups. What they couldn't tell me is how many total scrubbing bubbles bottles they make per year. So we don't know 
if you know if a half a million bottles is a lot for them if it's a you know a small portion we don't know um but i would think a global company like like sc johnson is probably making more annually than just a half a million uh, scrubbing bubbles bottles. So again, it's all about perspective, and the, that goes back to the the greenwashing aspect of this story. Is that you know it sounds like they're doing a lot. It you know it makes you feel good when you're at um, the the ballpark or when you're going to a Bucks game because you you feel like you're pitching in and helping the environment. But in reality, is it a lot? Well, it, one of the things that stood out to me in watching this and then just reading, you know. I, I, uh, my wife and I just we watch movies and we immediately research or we watch TV shows and we start researching. I watched your story and I started reading other things and it sort of led me down other paths. Um, so I don't know if this came from your story or something I read after, but the, the, the question it really has to do with the recovery rates of things like the plastic cups. You're, you're at uh, American Family Field and maybe the idea is we're going to recycle these 1.6 million cups, but how many people actually put them in the proper receptacle or or how many stick their half-eaten hot dog and foil wrapper and other garbage garbage in with that cup and and is there some mechanism for sorting all of that so there's the idea of recycling all of those but what's the real rate that those things get recycled at even if the materials themselves are recyclable yeah it's it's an embarrassing number brian i mean really it's it's embarrassing for for the country <laughs> as a whole that the recycling rate is so low i mean it's less than 10% of plastics in this in this country end up getting recycled. And I wonder why that is because you, you, you there's the mention that cardboard recycling is so much higher, something like 60% or something like that. And obviously with all the Amazon boxes flying around, you would hope the numbers are pretty high, but plastic is under 10%. Why the disparity between those two products? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think some of it is is contaminants. Um, you know, a lot of municipalities now have have switched to uh, single stream recycling, which again so, is almost in in some ways a, a greenwashing of uh, in and of itself because it sounds like it's great, right? Single stream recycling, you put all of your recyclables into one container, put it out at the curb, and then it's sorted and and uh, processed at a facility. Well, um, when you do that, you're mixing a lot of different elements together in in one bin, you know, some, as you mentioned, that have food scraps and and whatnot, and you're getting contaminants there. But also, um, there are a number of different grades of plastic that we have. So if you take your your shampoo bottle and you turn it over and you look for the little recycling logo with a number in it, you know, a lot of municipalities will take ones and twos, um, but then you also have, you know, four, five, six, um, that's on there. And some of them don't, you know, here in, in uh, the community that I live in, uh, you know, they take, I believe it's one, two and five and that's it. So that makes you wonder, well, okay, if I've got a product um, here that is a, a, a three, where does it go? Well, you have to, you really don't have a choice. You have to throw it away. I think that I, I, I ask the question, but I have my own sort of hypothesis, and I think that may well have a lot to do with the issue with plastics because everyone knows with cardboard, cardboard's recyclable. Now, I think most people know you shouldn't, you know, have the pizza, you know, melted cheese all over it if you're going to put that in from a pizza box. But by and large, we all know that aluminum's recyclable, cardboard is, but plastics, gosh, which ones are recyclable? 
I don't know. I'll just throw it out. I think there's a lot of that that goes around. Before we wrap up and get to our our, our next segment, I do want to ask this because there was a mention in the story about, um, uh, and this was from uh, the from from uh, Beyond Plastics, the the representative you had talking about greenwashing, and she said, for instance, with plastic cups, there's an alternative to have reusable aluminum cups, and and I really thought about it, and I know there are some places that are starting to try this, but I tried to imagine being at a Bucks game or a Brewers game or, or a Packers game and everyone having a reusable aluminum cup that what you take back up and have it washed out and refilled, that that seems, at your house that makes sense. It seems unusual. I think that would be a big habit change or behavior change at a ball game. Is is that a realistic possibility and is it is it succeeding anywhere? Yeah, I mean, it is realistic um, and it is actually succeeding. There is a, a stadium, I believe it's in Denver, Colorado, that is doing just that. Um, but Brian, it, it all goes back to, you know, habits on the consumer and you can't place all of the blame on us, right? You know, a lot of, a lot of this has to come from corporations and municipalities getting their acts together when it comes to recycling. Um, but yeah, we, we do have to shoulder some of the burden as consumers as well. Just look at, look at, Plastic bags, you know, you mentioned at the top of the podcast about plastic bags, you know, 10 years ago, could you imagine bringing, um, you know, canvas bags everywhere you went when you go to the grocery store to, to go shopping? Probably not because, you know, we weren't thinking of, uh, you know, plastics being a, a, an issue. Um, but now people, are, people, for the most part, I think, are in the habit of bringing bags with them when they go to the grocery store that you reuse hundreds, if not thousands of times. The same principle can be applied to going to the ballpark. Um, and you can actually, I think there's a lot of opportunities that, that, you know, all major sports teams have to make this kind of an exciting thing for fans, right? You can, you can take it home with you. You can show, you know, you got your friends um, to get them as well. You can show it off and you bring it back to the ballpark with you all the time. They can also have an incentive for folks um, you know, maybe a discount on beer, right? You, if you bring your, your reusable cup with you to the ballpark, you can get a small discount when you go. I think that's actually more of an incentive for people than having them have to seek out the specific receptacle to make sure that they, they only put that in that particular receptacle um, and have those plastic cups be, you know, carted off and, and recycled. I'll wrap it up with this question because it was one that was that you you addressed in your piece, and that was Fisk Johnson asked the question because you know uh, people like the those at Beyond Plastics say they want to eliminate plastics altogether, and he said he 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 asked the question, what's the alternative? Um, what is the alternative to plastics? They're obviously so ubiquitous in our lives. And, and is it realistic to say we could eliminate plastics altogether? Uh, are consumers willing to pay the price that that, that might require um, to, to do that? Is, is it a realistic thing to say eliminate plastics altogether? Well, no, because we've become so dependent on them, right? And because plastic is cheap. It's cheap for these manufacturers to put um, shampoo or soda into a plastic bottle, right? And then in turn, it's cheap for the consumer. So unfortunately, you know, that that's a, a generational habit that I don't think is going to change. But there are things that we can do to curb that. You know, Judith Ank, who is the, the um, woman that we, we interviewed from Beyond Plastic, she's a former EPA um, administrator for New York City, right? So I mean, one of the largest cities on, on, the, on the planet. Um, you know, she was tasked with with this. And, you know, she points out that all of the plastic 
that's ever been made ever is still on this planet. Think about that. You know, unless it's been incinerated, which is not a good thing, all of the plastic is still here. And as we point out in the piece, only a small percentage of that plastic is getting recycled. So that therein lies the issue, right? So there, there, there does need to be some sort of change. There does need to be some sort of push. Look, Brian, I was just at um, North Beach and Racine uh, two days ago, and I looked down in the sand, and here along Lake Michigan, I, I looked, and there's all these different colored pieces. It was pieces of plastic. Um, you know, and, and S.C. Johnson, again, you know, this, is, this wasn't, um, you know, just going after them specifically. This was, you know, a, a, larger, a larger piece here. But uh, S.C. Johnson has a pledge now where I, I believe it's by 2030 or 2025 or something like that, that they want to make all of their products 100% uh, either recyclable, reusable, or compostable, right? Which sounds great. Again, a, another thing that sounds great. Uh, and they are making a lot of uh, efforts in terms of reusing Windex bottles. As we point out in the piece, you know, you can buy a concentrate now. So you don't have to keep using uh, a new Windex bottle. You can you can reuse the Windex bottle that you have. You don't ever have to buy another bottle of Windex. You just buy a concentrate and, and dump it in, mix it in with some water. And, and, you know, you've eliminated your plastic footprint by a considerable amount, you know. Then the other the other aspect of it is well compostable well how many people have a compost bin you know or or uh, you know there's a great uh, compost crusader uh, I highlighted them a, a number of years ago for Fox Six uh, and they have a program in Milwaukee and Shorewood where they have you know curbside composting pickups and that's great if you if you're a neighborhood that has that but a lot of people don't so you know therein lies the issue again is where these these companies are saying oh look. Isn't it wonderful? You can you can put it in your compost bin. Well, a, a lot of people don't have that option. Well, Brett, I appreciate you uh, taking us through this, and it was it's a really interesting piece. Obviously, it's one that affects every single person who's listening to this podcast in one way or another. Whatever you may think of the issues at play, uh, it is something that obviously affects your life. <music> And this is the part of the podcast now where we're going to go off the record. This is where we get a little more personal, have a little bit of fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And this week it is not Fox 6's executive or Open Records executive producer Sarah Smith here to answer or ask us that question. She is off enjoying a well-deserved family vacation. Instead, we have Open Records man behind the curtain, our editor, Dave Machuda. Hey, Dave. Good morning, Fizzbos. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. So uh, tell us, what do, you, what do you have in store? I, I just told you yesterday to think about this, so you had like less than 24 hours to come up with the question. <laughs> I know. I was trying to think of something very Sarah-like. Um, you know, something where you dip back into your childhood, you know, this nostalgic kind of thing that she has a tendency to do sometimes. But then I also figured that my uh, thing would be music. And so I've combined the two and think back to what was the first album you ever bought on your own? Oh, that's good. I can go first if you guys want to think about it. Yeah, I mean, gosh. yeah, give me a minute. I, I do have to think about that. Mine was, uh, and I'm actually pretty proud of this, it was the Jackson 5's Greatest Hits. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I, st I still have the vinyl record. Um, actually, I'd, I'm not really even sure where the actual record is. I have the, I have the album cover uh, because my 
my uh, bathroom is wallpapered with uh, album covers. And so <laughs> when I use the small bathroom, I see the Jackson 5's greatest hits on the wall all the time. Um, so that was obviously pretty long ago, but at least it's a halfway decent first album. That's a good. That's a good pick, though, Dave. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty proud of that. That it. It also could have been like you know, uh, Donnie and Marie or some you know some garbage like that. So Jackson Five, I'm very happy with. I think mine was um, not as cool. I, I think mine was a uh, a best of Sting CD because I love I love me some Sting. I love the Police. Oh yeah. And uh, I think when I was when I was young, it was like Fields of Gold had just come out and. Uh, stuff like that, and and uh, I was I was big into Sting. I was an old soul even then, Dave. <laughs> but but I you know what I noticed about that though I noticed that it was a CD. It was a CD, yeah. Okay, because because yeah. I'm I was that's what I'm what I'm trying to think back is so I grew up in the '70s and obviously vinyl was still the thing. Cassettes were obviously also available, and what I don't I remember having a collection of 33s. What I don't recall is whether I personally bought any of them um because i so i don't have a specific recollection from that time of going to the store and buying uh a lot of vinyl records i mostly bought cassettes um but i had uh i had yes i had um scorpions i had as dave won't be surprised i had some hair band stuff cinderella and motley Crue, def leopard all on vinyl um and then i borrowed from my parents they had you know everything from led zeppelin to little river band um so I had a kind of a variety of, of uh, things and, and, and my back before Bill Cosby was what we know him to be today. I had a Bill Cosby uh, uh, double album set. I loved stand up. So that was big. But I don't remember really buying any of that. I remember buying cassettes and, and maybe one of the first cassettes that I can remember actually paying for myself. Although this is I, I would have had quite a collection by then. So I don't know. But the first one I can really think of is, is, is Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet. Um, I remember buy, you know, going to the store, buying that. I was really excited about it. They were actually coming on a tour that I didn't get to go to the concert, but um, lobbied my parents to let me go. Uh, but so, so that's the first one I can think of. What, what, what year would that have been? That was probably maybe what mid to late seventy, or mid to late eighties, I should say, eighty seven ish, eighty six, something like yeah, that. That's that's probably what I would have guessed um, too. But yeah. but so at that time, if it was eighty six, I was fourteen years old. I probably hadn't done a lot of buying things on my own, so that makes sense. It would have been right around there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I don't really know where a lot of my music came from because I don't think I mean I remember back then if you you went to buy something you'd go to maybe like the Sam Goody at the mall or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, I I don't recall having bought any vinyl myself because I don't maybe they did have vinyl at Sam Goody I don't remember that was mostly CDs and and cassettes though. I I worked at I worked at a Sam Goody over Christmas one time as Christmas help. And they had this great employee discount, and I spent more money that Christmas than I earned. <laughs> that doesn't surprise there. me at all, Dave. <laughs> all right. Well, Dave brought it today, and, and uh, perfectly appropriate that it would be a music question. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today on Open Record. We're really glad to have you here. I can't believe it was your first time on, but we'll, we'll have to have you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. If you have a question you'd like to submit for our Off the Record segment or a topic you think we should discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. 
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.